Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. And what a dreadful afternoon that was at the Vitality. It seemed to start so well. We came flying out the blocks, 1-0 up after Andreas Pereira's well-taken, beautifully crafted goal. And then just the wheels fell off. You know, we let them back in, got a worldie. Solanke with a 79th minute winner. We're wondering what the hell happened. It, Bournemouth deserved victory. We left tearing up our tickets in disappointment and yeah I just uh, it's one of those podcasts that you know I was like oh god I've got to do the pod now (laughs) got to talk about that performance all over again but you know there's a bit of group therapy in that you know we're trying to unpick it we're trying to understand it so I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Dan Cook how you doing mate uh coping coops I'm coping (laughs) yeah we'll get through it we'll get through it Alex Irons you're right mate I'm good thank you I'm delighted beamed in from Canada Ben Jarman how you doing Hello, Coops. I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm getting over it. But yeah, yesterday and Bournemouth. It's a long old drive to... Uh, to the, the, coming back, it felt a hell of a lot longer than going there, you know. But um, anyway, let's, let's try and work out what the hell happens. Dan Cook, have you got some three-word reviews for us, please? I do, I do. There's, I think Bournemouth on April Fool's Day means there's just so many puns out there. Uh, so there was there was quite a few good ones out there today. I mean, the ever-reliable Richard Solbamba with April Fool's play, which, you know, I think sums up that second half quite nicely. We had our very own Jack Kelly and also Fulham 1000 with On the Beach. We had Fulham Catalonia with Mint Means Defeat because that mm. mint kit is starting to do my Sweden because it's <laughs> both horrific and also we always lose in it. Mark Hopping with the slightly sad European dream over, but followed up by James Wilson with still above Chelsea. So, you know, yeah, every cloud, positives Springs and negatives. Exactly. And finally, Chris Fank, Cottage Analytica with cherries on top. Very good. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity for pun with, uh, as you said, with the date and obviously cherries. Yeah, can we just bin off that mint kit? It's just revolting. It's it's repugnant. Who thought that was a good design? I want to speak to the members of that group at Adidas who put that kit together. Our black <laughs> kit is, is is great as well. That black kit, I think, is fire. I really yeah. like that black kit from last season. That's our third kit. It's really nice. We could have just worn white. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Hang on, hang on a minute. I haven't thought. Yeah, we could have. Why didn't we? Yeah, we should anyway. have just worn all white. Yeah, mad, yeah. mad. Anyway, Ben, it all started so well. You watched the game live from Canada on a rickety old stream, <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning. Feel sorry, don't, for expo- you, lad. don't expose me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where did it all go wrong for Fulham? <laughs> well, um, I actually thought like first half was pretty good. We were ticking along quite nicely. And then second half, it was just absolutely abhorrent at times. We were really, really bad. Me and Dan have spoken about this a few times on the on the whiteboard recently, is that we're just really lacking any sort of attacking impetus and structure at the moment. We are very telegraphed in the way we play. And without Alexander Mitrovic up front, we are really lacking a threat to make the ball stick. And I think that our lack of squad depth is really starting to catch up with us now. I think, you know, those we have four midfielders, essentially. 
And after that is a complete drop off and you can't expect to play a full Premier League season with just four midfielders. And then Bournemouth, I mean, they came out the second half and just completely changed everything they were doing. They targeted the middle of the pitch. They took a war single-handedly to Joao Palinha and like, no way he's going to win against a midfield three on his own because Reedy and Pereira were just on the periphery for that second half. Mm. And that was the turning point for me. Yeah, Bournemouth certainly came out of the blocks in that second half. It, it was a completely different team. Um, but what really disappointed me is that we just didn't seem to match that in any way. There was no intensity. There was no mm. uh, seemingly any game plan. Um, Alex, do you think that lack of fight in the second half um, is slightly concerning, especially the accusation saying you know, now with the FA Cup out of the way, seemingly out of the Europe shout, were we a little bit on the beach at the moment, do you think? No, I don't think so. I think the fact that the Premier League is so close at the moment that, you know, if we had, you know, picked up some points from somewhere in the next couple of games, then we'll be back right back in it again. Uh, it's the fact that Marcus Tavernier, who's been such a big player for Bournemouth this season, came back from injury. They reintroduced him into the second half and he changed the game for Bournemouth, really. Um, I think that going forwards, I think into next season, we're going to have to look at, you know, bringing bringing in uh, reinforcements. Uh, our defence has been, I think our defence has been fragile all season. Uh, the fact that we only brought in one defender, I thought, um, during the entirety of the season was poor uh, from from Silver's choice. And I think that to really kind of give the next season a proper go, we're going to have to bring in a lot of reinforcements just across the board. Just yeah. one thing, Coops, on, on, on intensity, is that you also don't, I don't think you necessarily need to to match intensity with with more intensity I think we could have been calm you know we could have tried to deal with this first 15 minutes that you know Bournemouth were going to come out of the blocks because the fans were on top of them in the first half they're scrapping for their lives they were going to come out quick and just slow the game down you know retain possession a little bit be calm you don't necessarily need to go at 100 miles an hour along with the opposition just just slow the game down take that bite out of it and I think that's probably what has really angered Marco Silva is that we didn't show that game management, which actually under Marco Silva in general has been pretty good. You know, last season in the championship, I thought we we managed games really well and we have done this season as well. You know, we're quite good in general when we go in the lead because we sort of managed to to get let the game sort of taper at quite a slow pace as it gets towards the end. But we just let Bournemouth swarm us and we just couldn't stop it. Yeah, no, I get where you're coming from. I mean, you mentioned um, when we were talking earlier about your uh, your concerns at our issues going forward and our inability to create chances. I mean, the the first goal was a beautifully well worked goal. I say the ball that Vinicius put through to Solomon was exquisite. Cut back to Harrison Reed, laid it off to Andreas. Wonderful team goal. However. You've highlighted some issues about creating attacking chances when when we need to get back into the game effectively. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the hallmarks of Marco Silva's championship side. And me and Ben spoke about this a lot last season was this cutbacks FC, as we called ourselves, you know, creating these chances that come from out wide, but but close to the box or in just inside the area where you can actually pick out a pass. You know, a, a winger gets their head up and has a man to aim for. And that was brilliant. Lovely move. It was very reminiscent of how you know, we played at our best last season and also this season. But then from there, we just never did it again. Like we never exploited those spaces. And it just resorted to Anthony Robinson and Kenny Tete for the most part, just hurling crosses into the box at Carlos Vinicius, who 
wasn't really capable. You know, some of the crosses were poor, and then some of them he just wasn't capable of doing anything with. And and at times as well, he, only one person to aim for. I was pulling my hair out mm. by the 85th minute. I think Anthony Robinson swung a ball in. The only person in the box was Carlos Vinicius, and they had four defenders in there. Like mm. it just, yeah. it just, it was, so it seemed to lack that level of creativity at the moment. It just seems so predictable. If I'm going to be really harsh, I think on Silver is that we noticed this at times last season that the Fulham really started to plateau, and you know it feels really harsh to say this because we were top of the league for the most part. But there was an area just just again after Christmas, and then again I think when we were about to win the title was that we looked really one dimensional. We really struggled to get results there, and especially against like a low block. And I think we're seeing it again at this point in the season, and we're at a point now where we don't want the season to fizzle out and become essentially nothing like a cruise into the to the end you know we had a couple of three word reviews already saying that we're on the beach but what we don't want to do is this you know season which has been historic in so many ways just petering out into nothingness at the end and we really need a spark here and it's up to Marco to to sort of find that I mean I'm in absolutely no way calling for any sort of change whatsoever I feel like he's done more for our club in the past two years than anyone bar Hodgson so I think he's He's nailed on to almost like being a Hall of Fame, but he needs to find something from somewhere pretty quickly. Where where do you think that's going to come from, Ben? Well, where do I you think, think it could come from. Well, I think it, there's definitely changes that we can make. I mean, Andreas Pereira is kind of reverting back to what the stats indicate that he would be output-wise in terms of how often he's being involved in the game, how influential he is on the team. I think that we could probably do some with a change there, you know, looking at maybe someone like Tom Kearney to come in for this next run of games against teams that are in the bottom half of the league and fighting for their lives. What are we going to need there? We're going to need someone to hold the ball and create those chances. We might look to potentially change some wingers. You know, me and Dan have spoken about Bobby Deckard over Reed potentially coming out and someone with a little bit more flair coming into that right side. And you might want to change it up at fullback as well. I think, you know, I, I love Kenny Tete, but he's defensively so sound, but his attacking output is maybe not as high as you might see from someone like Cedric. But, you know, it all just depends on getting that balance right. And I feel like we are a little one-dimensional at times right now. And, you know, to save this season, as I said, petering out, we kind of need to give it a little bit of a spark. And just um, one other thing, just on that, Coops, in terms of, you know, we spoke about it after Brighton, which was a failed test, which was playing with a striker who is not a target man, you know, playing Bobby Deckard over Reed up top. And, and I wonder, you know, if there is something in there that we sort of just force something different to happen. Because at the moment, I think having a target man up top, it feels so easy to push the ball out wide, put a cross in, because that's how you play with a target man. And maybe add, just adding an extra person in that build-up phase who actually is creative is good in possession of the ball you know I, I would say Bobby Deck would have really is much more sound in possession of the ball than Carlos Vinicius is just add an extra pass or two in there maybe that does help us break teams apart a little bit better because at the moment I think we are just relying on someone who's over six foot winning a header mm. Yeah, it does feel predictable. And then teams have your number, right? They know the way you're going to play and they can set up to defend it. Just on Vinicius, um, obviously I mentioned the ball that he put through to Solomon in the build-up, but Alex, apart from that, he felt pretty anonymous, especially in the second half. Do you not think? I feels like that with him in most of his appearances, which is quite sad to say. Uh, he's a player that when we came in, or when he came in, we were thinking, okay, He's not really got that same pedigree that we've we've seen with Mitrovic, and it kind of nearly felt like a, an upgraded version of uh, Rodrigo Munez, um, who's now at Middlesbrough and 
you would have thought, well, why don't we just keep him and, and not have uh, Carlos Vinicius? But he's a good player on the ground and he's uh, keeping well, keeping the ball on the ground and he's great at putting passes into uh, to the wing. But apart from that, he doesn't really add anything. He's more of a target man in regards to or not talking about him, he's more of a like a false nine. Like you'll have him kind of sat on the 35, 30 yard and just ping the ball over to the wings. But really you want someone in there who can do that and finish. And Carlos Vinicius just isn't that person for us. Mm, I want to come on to a few other sort of individual performances. Um, I thought our fullbacks going forward, the final ball, the crossing was just completely wayward. And um, Anthony Robinson, just on the second goal, Am I right in thinking, what the hell is he doing? Why doesn't he just welly that into Rosette? It's Dan, I just, I couldn't quite understand. Was it a communication mishap? What, what do you think happened there? Yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've watched it a few times and I think there's potentially two things, but neither of them really make much sense to me, which is one, maybe he sees, I think Reem starts to stick out a leg and I think he also is looking at, at Leno potentially stretching and he pulls out, but rule number one of defending on your goal line don't shirk out of something like that because you think someone else is going for it if it's there go for it clear it and two I don't know if there's like a weird thing where I think I think he sees Dom Solanke coming through and there's there is the worry in the box you know when it, when a ball sort of is is loose and a defender swings a leg and then it, it someone goes down in the heap because they, they get their toe on it first but again I don't think that applies in this situation because if he gets a toe on it it goes in the goal so mm. like I, I don't really I think it's just that that one tiny moment of indecision that you just can't it's really weird because you, I, I don't think you see defenders do that on their own goal line like I sort of understand it maybe if it's on the edge of the box um, or just inside the box but on your own goal line is bizarre it is a really weird decision to because he, he swings he does go to swing and then just sort of stops and then it's too late like it gives Dom Solanke that chance it's also not Dom Solanke's goal that's very much an own goal I don't know why he's getting away with this <laughs> yeah, I I thought it very much looked like an looked like an own goal. Um, Charms, obviously we were without two key players who were suspended in yeah. William and, and Mitro. Do you think the Bournemouth result yesterday was a bit of a case of we're out? We were without these two key players that can kind of explain the performance, or do you think the issues run a little bit deeper than that? I think there's an element of that for sure. I, you know, definitely looking at the case of Alexander Mitrovic and against the quality of Carlos Vinicius, it is night and day. They are not comparable in terms of their output and quality. You know, look at the, the game yesterday. So many times we were just begging out for that ball to be stuck up to a centre half, a uh, centre forward that can keep it and link the play, get, bring others into play, the Andreas Pereiras of this world and the wingers of this world, so we can get in behind and counter. Because, you know, second half, that was probably what we were going to do to get a result. But we just didn't have the capabilities for that whatsoever. I think when you look at Willian, we have wingers out there that have, you know, similar qualities to him. You know, Manuel Solomon is probably a little bit quicker over the first five yards and equally as good in those tight spaces. So I, I think, you know, the, the absence of William was definitely felt, but probably minimised by the output of Solomon. I think, you know, the, the, the issues, as you say, likely run deeper. I think, you know, the fullbacks yesterday were nowhere near as good. They weren't probing anywhere near as hard and they weren't getting in behind to create high value chances. I think, as we spoke about in the upfront section of, of this podcast, the midfield depth is really, really small. Um, and, you know, too often there was players that end up on the periphery of the game 
which is a disappointment considering how good Harrison Reed was in the first half. He was absolutely everywhere, covering all blades of grass. Yeah. You know, he was getting beyond Pereira at times. You know, for him to pop up in the box instead of your number 10 is probably a bit of a question, but a nice setup nonetheless for the goal. Um, and it wasn't until Tom Kenny came on that there was any sort of physicality. And you don't often get that from Tom, but I loved that cameo that he had the last 10, 15 minutes. He crunched Ryan Christie twice. And mm-hmm. anyone that didn't like that probably <laughs> is uh, is not a football fan. But yeah, I just, I, I, I like, I love Tom. And I, I think he's he's re, uh, reinvigorated himself a number of times over his Fulham career. And I think he's on the path to doing it again. And I think he has to be a, you know, a big focal point in these next few games because I think Andreas Pereira definitely needs a rest. Mm. who'd have thought it hard tackling Tom Kearney <laughs> if you'd have <laughs> said me. that three seasons ago you'd be like what are you talking about um, I want to talk about the officiating because whilst I don't think the ref had a particularly bad game I felt that he was incredibly lenient in letting Bournemouth manage the game in terms of time wasting there was this weird little seemingly rehearsed routine between the ball boy and a fan and you know it's just counting down the clock and just um seemingly uh, penalizing us for very soft tackles and then also just allow I feel like once you allow a bit of time wasting without an immediate booking it just gets worse and worse and worse Alex did you get that frustration or is that was that just you know us sitting sat in the away and losing our minds as the as the clock slowly ticks down uh, it might have been just you guys in the away end uh, from where I was sat uh, annoyingly I was working during the game and having one eye on one game and one eye on the 12 faders I had to run at the same time making sure that uh, everything was going on there as it should be so I didn't notice it as much as as maybe people in the away fans were sitting but I feel like that's just generally a, a, a way that the games are kind of run in general. Like if a team goes ahead, they want one goal up with five minutes to go, they're going to run down the clock. That's just mm. the, the way that it is. And although the, the idea of a fan and the board boy having practiced a, a routine together, the idea of that just seems a bit silly. But um, <laughs> I'm telling I think, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, honestly, I can I can re- regale this story perfectly because I, I it, it was genius. Did it happen in it, front of it, it was it, like it, the audacity it, of it. You're like fucking ball, hell, lads. Ball went into the crowd. That person in the crowd holds onto the ball. Ball boy reluctantly steps up with his ball that he's got spare, hands it to Neto. And as he hands it and Neto goes off to take the goal kick, the fan then throws his ball onto the pitch. Oh, I see what you mean. I thought you meant they were like throwing it back and forth between one another, uh, which would have been... May as well have been. It was was choreographed. But that happens more or less at every single game. Like I don't think there's anything you can do to stop that, especially when a team are at home and they're they're up by a goal. The fans are going to do whatever they can to slow things down. And uh, my point was that... My point was that the ref let it slide, let the time wasting slide, you know, just did a very passive wave on rather yeah, than I if you be... immediately get the yellow card out for time wasting, then nobody else does it. But he can't book Neto for that. He no, no, no. But but the, there were occasions where the ref, where the keeper took over 10 seconds to take the goal kick, for example. There was a lot, a lot of time wasting. Anyway, as I said, I'm not taking anything away from Bournemouth. I think that they were by far the better side and thoroughly... I, I'm pained to admit it, but deserve the win. Absolutely. They go up to 15th place now. They're out of the relegation zone. I mean, Dan, do you think they've got enough to stay up? I from It was a very spirited performance, especially second half yesterday. I think, I think they potentially could. I think they've probably got the players to stay up. I don't think they've got the manager to stay up. I know Gary O'Neill's been getting plaudits for the change he made at half-time but it felt a little bit more like a Hail Mary to me than it was a 
real tactical switch. You know, he just went into to to bring on more attacking players because they were one nil down and it worked and they were more intense. But you know, you see the Bournemouth players speaking after the game about how did Gary O'Neill change that game? Apparently, he just said to them that they needed more intensity. But great that's you know <laughs> I, I could have told them that because they were woeful in the first half so I think I think I know I think they've got some good individual players in there you know I really like Philip Billing I like that midfield trio they've got Senesi was good at the back Dominic Solanke is whilst not a natural finisher a really useful striker to have especially if you're trying to get you know hassle teams and also get in behind I just mm. don't know if they've got a good enough manager to see them through to stay up. And it's a shame because actually I was speaking about this with a friend who's a Bournemouth fan. I would like them to stay up. We now no longer have any beef with them. You know, Scott Parker's gone. We all hate Scott Parker. Great. But also I think it would be quite <laughs> a nice, a nice story for them to stay up because they started the season with no investment because they were going through a, a takeover. And so they didn't sign anyone really of no other than probably Marcus Tavernier in, in the summer. And then they got that additional investment in January that they needed. And it would be quite a nice story if they stay up because they, I think, have a similar air to them as ourselves. I think they're a likeable club. But unfortunately, I think they probably are one of the three that will go down. Just to top up on Solanke, I thought yesterday he had a, he had a great game in the second half. I mean, the amount of times we've seen it, you know, in Fulham, Fulham Bournemouth games, it's him versus Tim Ream. They seem to put him on Tim Ream every single time. I mean, the first half they did try and put him on Diop, and he was completely shut down. But second half down the channels, that was that was one of the biggest reasons why they beat us as well. Is him and Ream one on one down the channels with no fullback support from our side. So yeah, I thought just he's annoying to play against. Yeah, one of those just physical sod. strikers. Yeah, yeah. First goal since November yesterday. No, it's not because he didn't score. He's not not having that goal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. I mean, it was a a disappointing result yesterday, but I think you have to contextualise everything in terms of like the bigger picture of the season. And we haven't had many results like that where we were just completely outperformed. I'm thinking Newcastle at home, Newcastle away. Other than that, just a, we've been very fortunate is what is what I'm trying to say but do do you feel Dan as if that result all but ends any talk of ending up in the European slots it does I think it does and I think potentially on a, a momentum level as well I think that's that'll have stung and ultimately I just think the teams above us are better than us like it, it hurts to say it when you were speaking about Brentford but I think Brentford are currently a better team than we are um, mm. Brighton absolutely are a better team than we are and then you're talking about you know traditional top six big six clubs plus Newcastle and I just don't think we have the the vitamins to get us through the rest of the season and and, and maybe if we'd have been doing it next season if we were in exactly the same position come January I think with additional squad depth we, we probably would still be in the discussion but to have got through to this stage and I wrote an article for Fulhamish over the the, break, the international break, we've got probably 14 first 11 players, like in terms of the squad. And then mm. everything around that is just a rotational sub option. But we've only got 14 players who ever put their hand up for a starting slot. And so I think that's really impressive to be where we are because I don't think anyone else has that level of, of 
absolute non-existent squad depth. So, you know, there is a, there's a credit in there as well, but I just don't think we have the legs because April's a big month as well. We've got a lot of games yeah. and I don't know if we'll be able to drag ourselves through this, getting the results we need. You know, realistically, we'd need to win our next three on the bounce and that's going to be tough. We have so many players that are your classes like in-betweenies as well. You know, those that are just kind of like are too good for the championship, maybe not good enough for the Premier League. You know, like Harry Wilson. Harry, I don't know about Harry because he had that big injury at the start of the season, but like yeah, Bobby Reed is like absolutely the, the case in point of being an in-betweenie, in my opinion. But there are just a few of those that you, you, you probably replace in the summer and you build on. And I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, we have good building blocks in place here at the moment. You look at the look at the, some of the signings we made this summer. They've been amazing. So I think there is positivity despite yesterday's result being shite. <laughs> Alex, when Dan was saying that he thinks that all but ends are oh, Europe ch- chances, I saw a little twinge in your face. Do you disagree? <laughs> I Yeah, I do disagree. I think momentum-wise, yeah, okay, we're not in a good space at the moment, but you've got to look at the games that we have uh, coming up. The next three are West Ham, Everton and Leeds. Um, two of those being at home in West Ham and in Leeds, and then we've got to go to the Goodison. I think, if Fulham can get back on the right track and they can play like we saw them play for 70 minutes a couple of weeks ago at Old Trafford, we could get nine points out of that. That would put us up near towards the European places again. I know things aren't looking too good with the way that, you know, we've not won a game since, what, mid-February. Um, form isn't looking good. The players are looking tired. But I think that it's not the be-all or an end-all just because we lost away at Bournemouth. I think that there's still a, a lot of games left and the fact we're only four points off the European places, we're four points away from from Liverpool and from Brighton and from Brentford. Like They're not out of reach just yet. Um, even if we were to drop below Chelsea, they're still not out of reach. So I think there's a long way to go. And even though it's looking unlikely at the moment that Europe, it'd be a nice achievement to have. I mean, if you'd said at the beginning of the season that we'd be in 10th, I'd be like, no, what are you talking about? That's not going to happen. Um, to, to still finish in the top half of the table, if that were to happen by the end of May, I'd still be happy with that, um, regardless of whether or not we got Europe. But I don't think that Europe is unachievable. I think it's a little bit of a stretch with the way that things are at the moment in regards to form and, and the fact that our squad depth isn't as deep as we'd like it to be. But I think it, it's not, it's not unachievable. Level-headed optimism. That's why we get you on, Alex. <laughs> yeah, try, fantastic stuff. Yeah. Um, talking about the in-betweenies, Jarms, that's sort of a, a phrase that I'm, I'm coining, or you're coining, I should say. <laughs> I thought the substitutes were very interesting yesterday. It seemed that Marco Silva just adopted a hail mary approach just like just get as many people on the many just try as many things like I, i'm sorry but i think the dan james experiment is all but done now i'm <laughs> i'm baffled as to what he brings to this side as an option coming off the bench you've raised your eyebrows there do you disagree i don't disagree at all actually and i was not i was nodding along with you and saying mate yeah i agree but i realized i was on mute but yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think like the, for me, the Dan James experiment in, in my own head stopped at the Manchester United at home game because he came on then and he was he was not great. I mean, you know, if you watched the white, he? no, I don't think he did. Oh, he did. He did, he did, he did score. Right. I think it was it was another home game in that run of fixtures. I can't remember who it was, but he was woeful. He was not. He was not good against United at all. And, I, and for me, that was the point where it just like the, the the rope gave out, and I couldn't 
support him anymore. You know, like, I mean, it sounds horrible to say this. He's a professional footballer. He's light years ahead of where I will ever be on a football pitch. <laughs> but I, I do you think... As if that needed to be pointed <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, always, I always feel like I have to say it because you always get these people like, you couldn't fucking play, could you? So, you know, just to clarify, I cannot play football. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like um, the, the subjects, they were a little bit here and there you know I think Tom's Tom Tom Kenny's career as I said earlier was, was brilliant I, I loved every second of that it was great how Dan James made it on the pitch before Harry Wilson again I'm not sure how that managed to happen um, Cedric coming on for the last couple of minutes and then just not doing a hell of a lot was was also bizarre I saw a tweet that I really really loved it was like the right side of Dan James and Cedric should be a hate crime um, <laughs> which, which I loved that for a long time I can't remember who who tweeted it, but like, yeah, it made me laugh for, for miles. But yeah, I think Silver just, there, there is some criticism that can be leveled at him. And I think subs maybe one, they're always a little too late and they don't always seem to make sense. But sometimes you got a zig when you have to zag, you know? Yeah, I think this is the thing, like he he is limited in the changes he can make, but I am just anti in general, managers choosing this path to try and get a goal in a game, which is just put on all of the attacking players that you have on the bench because often, and, and then we saw it, but like we didn't have any obvious way that we were trying to score a goal. I think we had four wingers on the pitch and, and like, I don't know what that's going to do, what that's going to achieve because we had a midfield two of Tom Kearney and Sasha Lukic who were tasked with the whole thing of getting the ball from our centre-backs and then getting the ball to one of these players among 11 Bournemouth bodies and I think you you can't just sacrifice the entirety of midfield in that situation to just try and score a goal because you need someone in there linking it all up and there's, it's, it's something that we used to bemoan Scott Parker for doing and I think Marco Silva does it every now and then as well which is just try and lob on as many attackers as possible like we've seen it in the past like he'll go like three at the back and we'll have Harry Wilson as a right wing back sort of thing and I just I'm not a massive fan of it because I think you still need some level of structure and some way of creating whereas it just seemed like we had three players on either wing who were trying to cross the ball into Carlos Vinicius and maybe that's because we didn't have any other way of changing the game because you can't bring on another striker because we don't have one but I just yeah I, I would have liked something different in that game and also maybe sensing that the game was slipping away from us earlier as Jarm says and and trying to impact that game earlier and you know maybe Tom Kenny does come on and try and just calm things down but yeah it's it's I guess we would be having a go at him if he didn't throw on Harry Wilson at some point as well. So I guess there's there's two ways of looking at it. Just I want to ask all of you this question. So there's been a lot of talk at the moment how Fulham have been overachieving uh, in terms of the the metrics, the stats, the expected goals. There was a brilliant um, video on TIFO that I'm sure people have seen. If you've not, I. Uh, suggest you watch it because it's great it, it really crunches the numbers and explains the areas in which Fulham have been overachieving and I guess what I'm trying to ask is do you think that this is starting to catch up with us now and everything's going to start to level out and we're going to see really a true representation of where this side should be within the division Alex I'll start with you Maybe not this season. I think we've placed ourselves quite high up and I don't think even if we were to plateau now that the teams who are below us probably won't catch us. Um, we might see it happen into next season if we don't see many changes and we see uh, a team that hasn't been built on. But I think uh, for now, because we started off so well, everything's going to look hyperinflated. Uh, as much as I think that Europe isn't 
uh, unachievable for us. We had to also be aware that when we came into the season that a lot of us, me included, had very low expectations. Um, so I'm happy where we are. Um, if it makes it look like that we're ahead of where we should be, fine, then I, I don't mind. Um, I think we probably are ahead of where we should be, but with the way that the, the, the bottom half of the table is looking at the moment, I'm happy with that. But I think that we'll go into next season and I think that if things stay as they are, will be a truer representation of of what the stats say. Dan, anything? To yeah, add? I, no, no, I, I agree with with Alex. I think this was going to happen at some point. I think there, there were times when we were riding our luck, and we were also, you know, especially this this half of the season. You think Manuel Solomon digging us out of games with with worldies was was actually at the time felt great. We were like, this is fantastic. We've got an absolute star on our hands and we're winning or, or drawing games from a position where we've not played particularly well. But these things do tend to come back and bite you. And and maybe that's a good thing because this actually now is like a there's a, a cold truth to this of like, right, okay, we were previously getting through some games and winning despite maybe not deserving to. And now we're losing games that we definitely didn't deserve to win. And that's, I think, a point where we have to like reset and like maybe we need to change things up because you, you do ride your luck and, and it, it does run out. Like I think expected stats in general get a lot of stick from people who don't like them, but they do work and they are pretty true to form. And if you span them out over like a long period of time, people follow that projection. And so if we're we're putting up numbers of a team that shouldn't be eighth, ninth, tenth in the league, it's likely that we will slowly start to slip towards where we are expected to be based on how we play. Yeah, I I yeah, I think I agree with you there. Anything to add, Jams? I think Dan pretty Dan and Alex covered it pretty well there. I have like literally got nothing more. Just one top up is watch the latest episode of the whiteboard. That's the only thing I'm gonna say. <laughs> to get your supplements. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just a quick word on the the vitality, Dan. There's, it was a ground that I ticked off yesterday. Despite the result, I thought, lovely little ground. Great Quite, vibes. Yeah, good vibes. Um, really good view of the pitch. I like having an away end, that, which is side on. That's a nice touch, I thought. And um, yeah, cheap beers as well. I got a round of three beers with my dad and my brother. It was like 12 quid. I was like... To get used to this, not bad. Wow, I know. I, I was saying on on the on the walk to the ground with my dad. This is the ground that always gets brought up in these discussions of like soulless bowls that are stuck on industrial estates. But give me the vitality over the Medeski every single day of the week. Like you know, like I think there's grounds like the Vitality get stick for being old and a bit rickety, and you know it's small and it's congested, but. There's so much more in that and more atmosphere and more fun in those sort of grounds than these sort of identikit stadiums going up. So yeah, yeah. Nice little club, nice little ground. Fairy tale little club. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Don't go anywhere because we'll be back with some of your questions. Hello, it's Sammy here. Now, if you're looking for a VPN to watch football matches and TV shows which aren't available in your region, or maybe you're looking to save money by purchasing subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price, then we've got an amazing deal with NordVPN where you can get a massively discounted rate plus four free months by heading to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Now, I genuinely use NordVPN loads. Uh, For instance, back in October, I was in America for the Aston Villa game, which is on Amazon Prime. Now, I have a subscription to Amazon Prime, but obviously I was in the States, so I simply logged on to NordVPN 
Switched my country back to the UK and I was able to watch the lads leave Steven Gerrard's managerial career in tatters. A subscription to NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month and you can use one account on up to six devices. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months all for free. Best of all, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. You can find all the details at Nord vpn.com slash Fulhamish. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I am George Cooper and I'm joined <laughs> by Dan, Alex Sines and Ben Jarman. How are we all gents? Good. Yeah, good. Lovely. Right, I'm going to start with um, a question from Dan Cook. Um, he says, I'm aware I'm on the podcast, but can we speak <laughs> about why we have no obvious plans on how to score goals other than lumping balls into the box at infin- in- Infinitium? Uh, Dan, I'm going to throw this one to you. What do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> I'll your question, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you deal with that. Um, <laughs> no, I, was, I was looking for a sort of a, a hive mind to this because it, it does, it's, it's weird because one thing we've never struggled with under Marco Silva is like creating chances and scoring goals. But we do seem to have a real issue, especially when we go behind in games. So I don't know if we have a real plan on how we're going to get back into them. You know, even at one all yesterday, I'd still say that you know we were searching for a goal, we wanted to score, but we didn't look like scoring. And I think the same happened against Brentford. The same happened against Brighton, even though we won. These these are games where we just don't seem to be able to unpick defenses anymore. And I, mm. you mentioned it, Coops, at the start that, that teams do start to adjust in the Premier League, and if they know what you're about and they know how you cause them problems, you get found out pretty quickly. And teams know how to deal with it. You know, we've seen it in games where teams will defend really wide against us because they know we cause problems with our width, with our overlapping fullbacks, with our wingers, and they've shut us down. You know, Brentford did it brilliantly. But it just, it feels like we don't have any sort of plan on how to score other than crossing the ball into the box. And the one time we did it yesterday where we we formed a move that resulted in something more than a, a cross from deep, we scored and we picked them apart nicely. And I know you're not going to do that 10 times a game because there's a whole level of guile that comes with it. You know, you need to pick the right pass at the right time to the right runner. But I just would like to see something else from this Fulham team because we've just gone a bit stale when we try and create chances. And we, we spoke about it on the the whiteboard, but our XG this se- this half of the season has gone off a cliff you're like I think it's dropped from 1.39 expected goals per game in 2022 to 0.97 in 2023 and that's quite a big drop you know you're looking at 0.4 xg you know in terms of a difference that that that's quite big and that clearly we are struggling to create chances yeah I think so much of that style of play that Marco's develops is reliant on having an informed Alexander Mitrovic because you know you've got a striker of that caliber, and then if he drops form, gets suspended, whatever, then if I'm, I find like we're sometimes scrabbling around for, for for Plan B, unless you, as you said, have a Mano Solomon cut inside Worldy, which he so nearly did you see the cut inside yesterday? Everyone was like, "Oh yes, yes, it's happening, it's happening," but didn't quite pay off. Yeah, Jams, do you agree with what Dan says in terms of just a lack of creativity other than sort of balls in from the wide areas? Agree and kind of want to build on it. I think there's a, there's definitely a, an issue with squad depth, as, as we spoke about earlier in the pod. You know, you, you, you have one focal point in this midfield and it's Andreas Pereira. And as soon as he hits, 
you know, anywhere near being out of form, that's when everything around him sort of falls to pieces. You know, the house of cards comes tumbling down and you have to have a replacement in there. I think, you know, if you want to look at the whiteboard now, we can kind of give you a bit of a sneak preview in that Andres Pereira's stats underlying just aren't very good outside of dead balls. He doesn't create any, he doesn't create or complete enough passes per 90 to really have an influence on the game. He's not that progressive where he receives the ball. Um, and as I said, other than set pieces, he's oftentimes you know, on the periphery of games, not really having that, you know, the uh, the clutch or the, the control in the game that you'd like your number 10 to have. Um, I think that that becomes an issue. I think that fullback wise, you know, you have the speed of Anthony Robinson, but you don't necessarily have the delivery. On the other side, you have the delivery, but you don't have the speed. So, you know, the Premier League is a very fast, fast paced league. You have to be able to get in behind. You have to be fast on your feet. I don't necessarily think that we have that. So I think that there are certain areas where we're so telegraphed in the build-up that we need a little bit of impetus and spark and, uh, you know, maybe someone just to just to risk a few more things because we certainly don't have that now. And, you know, when you, when you lack a, an elite goal scorer because he's out of form or suspended in the way that we, you know, missing Alexander Mitrovic for the next three games at the very least, um, you know, you're relying on someone to pull something out of the bag or um, for someone to step up. And I just don't see that being Vinicius. Can I just, just, just add to, to that as well with what you said about Andreas Pereira? And like, yeah, he scored for us, which was, which was great there. He got into the position that you want an, an attacking number 10 to get into. And I think if we cycle it back to last season, you look at Fabio Carvalho, and granted all of this stuff is championship-based, but Fabio scored 10 goals last season from that, from a relatively similar position, not identical, but we'll call it a number 10. Harry Wilson scored 10 goals from out wide. Uh, and, you know, Andreas has got three this season. And our, our wingers are, are at similar levels to around that. You know, we've got wingers picking up two or three goals. We just don't seem to have enough outside of Alexander Mitrovic, I think. And that's, I think, I do think that it's a positive sign from Andreas that he got on the score sheet again, because it's been a while. But we do need, like, goal impact from him. He needs to be scoring or creating because he's such a focal point of this team. I was just wondering, James, can you dig a bit deeper into the, you know, his stats? Because he's, he's without doubt our most assist, our our highest output for assists, right? And three, you would argue three goals at this stage of the season for a number 10, fairly modest. I mean, not dreadful. He is scoring, but I think he's been incredibly impactful for Fulham this season, but I'm just trying to struggle how, how he can, you know, be pulling in assists and scoring the old goal and yet still not have the stats to back it up. How does that, how does that work? Well, Dan can work with me on this one, but a lot of the assists he does get are from dead ball situations, likes of corners, free kicks. So, you know, I think there's been a couple of times where he's popped the corner in and we've scored it from the edge of the box, which is absolutely ridiculous. I think one of one of his assists was to Manuel Solomon, where it was a two two yard pass laterally, and then Solomon curled it in from the edge of the box. Again, not not something that you would class as a typical assist from a number ten. But then looking at some of the other numbers as well, his attempted passes per ninety are around thirty five. Correct, Dan, which yeah. is in the lower half of of the sample size for the whole of the Premier League. Um, he's he has like four. He receives four progressive passes per 90 minutes, which is in the ninth percentile of the Premier League. Again, this is not a great stat to have whatsoever. 
And what that means is that he just doesn't break the lines. He's often very static or receives the ball in areas of low threat. Um, it also means that at times he can be on the periphery of games, not receiving the ball or not giving the ball enough. Um, it also means that his his dribble um, stats are also very low, which means that he doesn't take players on that regularly and he doesn't carry the ball out of areas of danger into areas where, again, we can start to counter on the transition. I think what this boils down to is you'll remember when we started the season, we were a very transition-heavy side. We were catching teams on the counter. You would see the ball go into Mitrovic and then back to Pereira and then you would see the wingers go in behind Mitrovic and then have a cutback and we'd likely score or create at least a high-value chance. That doesn't happen anymore. We now are starting to play in front of teams, very telegraphed, cycling the ball around lots, but not doing too much with it. And I think that's because... One, he might not have the space to operate that much anymore, but two, he's not actively going out to seek the ball as much as he used to. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on from James. I think that the underlying stuff around it, Coops, is 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 that he just isn't involved in games very much. And like this is I mean, it's 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 a criticism in a part, but obviously there there is a, a an appreciation from us as well because he has got the most assists for us this season and his set pieces have been huge. He's a third He's created the third highest number of chances in the league this season from set pieces. You know, James Ward-Prowse, Kieran Trippier, the only two players who've done better from set pieces. And they are exceptional set piece takers. So that, that deserves a lot of credit. But I just think there's something that in times in games, and we saw it yesterday, where he just drifts out of it. And it happens with number 10s a lot. And I think that's one of the reasons why number 10s have slightly gone out of fashion is because they have a tendency to drift out of games and they struggle to impact it if they're closed off properly. But I'd just like to see him do more in terms of getting on the ball, trying to make things happen. And we've spoken about Tom Kearney, but he's great at that. Like you, like we'll have all seen it yesterday when Tom Kearney came on the pitch. The first thing he wants to do all the time is is someone give him the ball, and he'll go and search for it. And I just don't feel Andreas Pereira does the same thing. Hmm. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what Marco does in the in the coming games, West Ham fixture, whether he does decide to mix it up. Um, I, th- I think a lot of the fans would be quite happy to see TC start, and I guess we'll I guess we'll see. But for more uh, insight, do check out the whiteboard. Um, I th- I'm worried that you've already sort of given away a large chunk of it, but um, no, they're excellent. So do do check them out. Um, Alex, we've got a question now from Matt Wall, who says momentum this year is important for talent attraction slash retention for next season, as well as form into next season. Wall f- finished last year as we seem to set as we've seen set to, and we're in the relegation zone and we're in the relegation zone for most of the season. How do we avoid falling into the same trap? What do you reckon? I think that we, I think that essentially we need to pick up form to go into the rest of the season on a high. Um, I think that maybe finishing in a European place maybe might make Fulham an attractive club for some players, but I don't think it'll be the be all and end all. I think that uh, potential players would look at the club as overall and and how where the club stands and go. If then if they're interested and they want to come in, then uh, then they will. I think the fact that we came into the Premier League this season and we were able to bring in the likes of um, Palinia and Pereira and Willian kind of shows where where Fulham are sitting already. They're a club that people are aware of, and I think that going into next season, I think we'll see similar caliber players come in. That you'll get some that have maybe gone under the radar, like Palinia and Pereira, maybe one like Willian who has been in England for a while and is one that maybe 
like people potentially don't rate anymore, but he's still got a lot of potential and a lot to prove. We may see someone like that come in again. I think that Fulham should be okay in the summer in regards to bringing in players. Um, I just feel that maybe people are looking potentially a little bit too deep into how other clubs have done and and using Wolves as a as a comparison, maybe because of the Portuguese factor as well. Um, I think that Fulham going forward into next season, providing that we bring in the right players, um, I think they should. We should be fine. I don't think we're going to see a, 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 a league as close as we as we saw it this year, uh, going into next season. That this, for some reason, seems to be like a bit of a one-off. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think there is a little bit in it. You, you know, we, there, there is that classic cliche of second season syndrome that comes in, and 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 Wolves. Whilst that's not second season syndrome, but it's in that similar way of like a really positive season from a team that is performing above expectations and the team I'm thinking of as well is Sheffield United who when they came up under Wilder were exceptional in their first season and then second season got relegated and I'm not saying I think that will happen with us I think we understand that you know we can't remain stationary this summer we do need to be on the move but Wolves attempted that over the summer you know Wolves spent quite a lot of money and they did in theory, strengthen their squad and and improve on their depth, and it it just hasn't worked. So it's, I mean, it seems so obvious to say it, but it is important that Fulham get it right. That you're not just signing players, but you're signing the right players, and and that's that's a big thing because you're not going to hit every. Not every transfer is going to be a hit, but Wolves had a lot of misses this summer, mm. and and that has cost them big time you know look at Gonzalo Guedes who came in at 30 odd million pounds and come January was shipped out on loan like those are the mistakes that Fulham can't be making yeah I think it's gonna be a fascinating summer I'm I've been quite vocal saying that I I tend not to indulge in transfer rumours but I think I may uh, I may scratch that itch over the course of the summer because it's like not only who we're going to be bringing in but just I'm going to be looking to see who Paulini has been linked with obsessively until next season starts because it's a constant fear anyway Mark I wouldn't be surprised if we I I have a, a suspicion that we'll break our transfer record this summer you think? I think I think we'll probably splash on at least one player. And I don't think that'll be our only spending, but I think with the way that it looks with financial fair play in theory, based on now we're getting off the eighteen nineteen stuff off our accounts, uh, it should free up quite a lot of FFP space. And I wonder if if this is a season when we see a, a big splurge and, and one of those players being for a hefty sum of money, which is exciting as long as it works. The thing about the cons as well is that they're not shy to pay people and to and to spend money. You know, they saw we saw it with the Jags last year. They were the biggest spenders in free agency in the NFL, and we've seen it with Fulham. They consistently back us, so I wouldn't be surprised if if as Dan says, we go and break a lot of records next year. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Um, have Fulham ever had a successful record transfer? I don't think we have, have we? If we look back over the, I think Brian Ruiz. Brian Ruiz <laughs> was, and then I, I, I thought it was a. Was he not? Oh, um, <laughs> uh, Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa, He was, wasn't he? He was, he was a record. Records, and, and that obviously and didn't work out. Didn't work out, but he is also so good at football. He's yeah. so good at football. It hurts to see how good, good he is. Yeah. Sorry, Ruiz. I thought you said he w- he was a good footballer, and then he wasn't because he wouldn't play for us in the championship. But... Sorry, that's um, my no, I thought, I thought he was our record signing. But my point I is, think he might that, have been. 
I think Fulham, Fulham don't do well in record signings. So hopefully we can change that this summer. Can you think of anything over over the years? I can't I can't think who would who would who it would have been prior to Ruiz, but oh, Steve Marley. Marley. Marley, yeah, well, again, not good. Andy, Don- anyway. Andy Johnson as well. I think he, he was. I mean, injury problems, but he was yeah. um, a good player for us. Anyway, move on. Um, M says, "Is it time to is it time to retire the mint kits, Jams?" Absolutely. We, yeah, <laughs> we, we we touched upon that earlier. Yeah, get get rid. Be never it. play. Never play in that kit again. Um, Mark has asked, "Has our bubble burst? We didn't have uh, variation in that second half to change things. Striker and midfield." midfielder shortage I think the Kavanaugh factor that's the point I want to focus on Alex do you do you think that we had some kind of I was hoping that we'd come out of the blocks of this game and 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 try and put the Manchester United game behind us but do you think all of this you know looming suspension and all of that kind of stuff has had a effect on the squad and we're just a bit flat and dejected after that well, so he's looking at the first half no not at all the fact that Fulham could have gone into the first into the uh, end of the first half two 0 up if if Robertson's effort hadn't struck the top of the crossbar. Um, I think it was just more the fact that we just got outplayed on the day, like in the second half, especially Tavernier coming back off from injury, really kind of changed the game for for Bournemouth into their favour. I think that, that although you know there's always going to be speculation around around the club and in the media, especially of what was happening over the past couple of weeks, which has been blown massively out of proportion. Um, but I think the players. And and the, and the coaching staff would be professional enough to deal with it. I think that going on to into the Bournemouth game, they would have been prepared for that and only that. Like they're not worrying about what's happening. They shouldn't be worrying about what's happening on the outside. We know that there's going to be a ban for Mitrovic. Willian should be back within a couple of games, and there's going to be a, a potential ban for Silva. We know that's going to happen. There's nothing that the players can do about it. All they can really change is what the results are happening are what the results are going to be on the pitch and. I think that's really what they should be focusing on and probably what they are focusing on more than what's happening in all the noise that's happening outside. Fair enough. Um, yeah, speaking of Kavanagh, uh, we've got West Ham coming up next and the team will be hoping to repay the injustice of what was West Ham away <laughs> earlier this year. Who was refing that day? Oh, Chris, Chris Kavanagh. Can I just hey, say yeah. as well that he he had a... Another absolute mayor, Chris Kavanagh, yesterday, yesterday. yesterday, refereeing the Nottingham Forest Wolves game. Um, by all accounts, it, he lost complete control of the game again. He sent off an assistant manager from both sides. Uh, I just, just, I was saying it to my dad, but a referee who thinks dealing with situations by branding red cards left, right and centre is the right way to keep control of the game is just not a good referee because that's not how you keep a game in check. If anything, I think you just spark more by just whipping red cards out left, right and centre. So I think I think he is probably someone we might not see very much of as a, as a referee for, for the foreseeable because he balls it up again yesterday and I think he's probably going to be slipping down to the championship for a bit. Good riddance. Um, yes. Yeah. On to West Ham. Jams, how do you think Fulham are going to fare? I'm looking at this thinking this is a game that we should win, but then it's tough. You know, they're scrapping for their lives. They've got a win against Southampton um, this weekend. I mean, what do you reckon? Again, a, t- a tough game. West Ham in a, in a fairly decent run of form. They picked up three points um, this weekend as, as well. 
Um, I think they're you know probably a bit of a better team than their position in the table would suggest. I think they've been quite unlucky at times with with some of the games, and then other times absolute dross. But that's what happens when you're down the the bottom of the league. And um, I think one of the most <laughs> satisfying things here is to see West Ham this far down the league knowing that they were probably the biggest spenders in Europe over the summer which is again quite quite a fun stat to have um, obviously aside Chelsea but I, I think that as I said they're a lot better than their table position suggests and they have a lot of weapons that can hurt us you know the likes of Ben Rama can hurt us Mikel Antonio is out there they have a, a fairly good centre-half partnership on their day and I think that Fulham do need to be at intensity level, which is much higher than we saw yesterday uh, and have a little bit more structure than we have seen in the last few games. If there's anything that can get the ball rolling here to get this season to a point where we're not just petering out, it's winning a London derby. So we need to throw our weight behind that and try and get three points off the hammers. I mean, as a guy that's originally from Essex, there's nothing better than seeing West Ham fans (laughs) being beaten. So I'd love to see that. Alex, do you expect to see Marco mix things up a little bit or do you think it would be much of the same? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think, as we mentioned earlier, that he'd potentially start Kenny in there. Um, I think that as well as, as good as a, a player that Bobby Decodover reed has been for us, maybe he needs a bit of a rest coming off uh, and putting someone else at, at, at right wing. Um, I think things will be switched up. Um, I think they are because like we've been saying that it has felt like a bit, stale it feels like every single uh fixture we have when we look at the lineup it's deja vu all over again we know what to expect um it would be good to see things freshened up and if it works then fantastic but if it doesn't work i don't think we're in a situation where we really need to worry about our league place so i potentially silver may feel he's got a bit more freedom here because although european football is still on the line at least for some of us who are optimistic um it wouldn't hurt to fresh things up. And if we do go down to a feat for West Ham, then that's just the way it is. I mean, we're technically mathematically safe. I know 40 is the benchmark, but we've been sitting just below that for what feels like a, a an age. Um, but I think that, yeah, he's going to have to freshen things up. Maybe bring in Suarez over for Kenny Tete, who again has been fantastic, but could do with a bit of a rest. Um, maybe we see Tosin come in for Diop or for, or for Reem. Um, and maybe one of the youngsters come in like like Luke Harris or Tyrese Francois comes in and, and we give them a bit of a, a run around against West Ham, but we'll wait and see. But I would like to see him make a couple of changes. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Um, yeah, Fulham face West Ham. And next game at the Cottage, hoping to, you know, return to winning ways. As I said, it's before defeats on the bounce now. The squad could really do with a bit of a boost. But that'll do for today's podcast, I think. Um, yeah, thanks for joining me, lads. It's, 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 it gets all out of your system, doesn't it? Breaking <laughs> it down. So, um, yeah, thank you very much, Alex. No, my thank pleasure. Very, thank you. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you very much, Coops. Thank you very much, Jams. Thank you very much. Lovely to be back on. Yeah, only thing left to do is to name the pod. So, uh, what are we going to go for, Dan? I think I'll have to go for Cottage Analytica, Chris Frank, friend of the pod, with cherries on top. Very good. Uh, Thursday Club will be back this week and also check out the whiteboard with uh, Dan and Jams. There's lots of great um, analysis there. Yeah, have a great week. We'll see you soon. Come on, you whites. Toodles.